Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the New Testament book of Matthew, the Gospel record of Matthew, and Matthew chapter number 25. Matthew and chapter number 25. We're continuing with our series dealing with the millennial kingdom, the thousand year reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we had started off the beginning of our series really laying down a foundation. One of the most important foundations that we laid was the idea that all prophecy is centered and majored on the Hebrew people. You cannot separate future prophecy from the promises God made to the Hebrew people. When you go outside of that framework, then you start to get into a lot of trouble. And the gospel record of Matthew chapter 24 and chapter 25 is one of those key passages where people will divorce the Old Testament from this passage. And when they do, they get all kinds of crazy and knocked off theories. They start to get things out of order and out of whack and out of context. So again, one of the most important foundational ideas that we covered at the beginning was the idea that all prophecy is centered in majors around the Hebrew people. And you cannot divorce the future prophecy events found in the New Testament from the promises God made to the Hebrew people in the Old Testament. Those set a foundation. With that in mind, look with me, if you don't mind, at the gospel record of Matthew chapter 25. The gospel record of Matthew 20, chapter 25, and notice with me starting at verse number 31. The gospel record of Matthew 25 and verse 31, the Bible says this, when the Son of Man shall come in his glory, all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory, and before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then shall the king say unto them that are on his right hand, Come, ye be blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was a hungered, and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me in. Naked ye clothed me, I was sick. And ye visited me. I was in prison, and ye came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we a hungered, and fed thee, or thirsty, or gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger, or took thee in, or naked, and clothed thee? Or when saw we sit thee sick, or in prison, and came to thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as you have done it unto the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. 
Then shall he say also unto them of the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was a hungered, and ye gave me no meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me no drink. And I was a stranger, and you took me not in. Naked ye clothed me not. Sick and in prison ye visited me not. Then shall they also answer him, saying, Lord... When saw we a hungered, or a thirst, or stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister unto thee? Then shall he answer them, saying, Verily I say unto you, Insasmuch as ye did it not to one of the least of these, ye did it not to me. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the gospel record of Matthew chapter 25? The gospel record of Matthew chapter 25, and notice with me in verse number 32 at the very end where we see the two that's being divided, the sheep from the goats. The sheep from the goats. And with this, this is often called the parable of the sheep and the goats. The parable of the sheep and the goats. And if you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come up to you, we're just asking that you would give us grace and mercy, that you would give us an understanding, and that you would just please, Lord, help us to see what you are doing in this passage, and that we could see how we could learn what's going to happen in the future, and then apply it to how we live today. We want to be someone who honors you, not just with our words, but with our behavior, with our deeds and with our action, that we want to have a faith that is genuine and real. I'm asking that you would help us even now to grab our attention, to let us have discernment of our own selves. Fill me with your spirit, Lord, and that you just do your own work and that we can trust you to work. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In the context of the gospel record of Matthew chapter 24 and 25 is the Lord Jesus Christ who is finishing up his earthly ministry. Jesus in chapter 24 has just departed from the temple for the very last time. As he's walking from the temple for the very last time, he also pronounces judgment upon the temple. Notice with me, if you don't mind, in Matthew 24 and verse 1, for context's sake, just kind of see what's going on. Matthew 24 and verse 1, and Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, privately saying, tell us when shall these things be and what shall the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? So as Jesus comes out, he, because the people, the Jewish people have rejected Christ, Christ has now set them aside. He says, all right, fine. Uh, <laughs> you don't want to serve me, there's going to be destruction. There are going to be things coming up before we bring you back to ourself. And of course, we know that the temple was destroyed in 70 AD by the Roman people, that it was leveled and destroyed, never to be rebuilt even to this day, even though it is the Hebrews' 
uh, hope. Again, it's because the Hebrew people as a whole rejected the Lord Jesus Christ from being their Messiah, being their King, being their Savior, being their God. Because they rejected him, God's Jesus now says, all right, I've got other plans. And we know according to the book of Daniel and the other passages in the Old Testament that he now turns and is working with us as Gentile believers, working through what God has called the local church to reach this world. But God is not done with the Hebrew people and he is going to come back and once again deal primarily with the Hebrew people. We call this period the period of the tribulation. It's called Jacob's Troubles. Someone had asked a question this last week. How do we know that the tribulation is seven years? That's a good question because the Bible dates itself several times. Remember, we've seen passages that talked about even how many days it is. The times, time, times, and time and a half. We see that in the prophecy in Daniel where it gives the 70 weeks of prophecy and 69 weeks have been uh, fulfilled, that those are weeks of years. Each week contains seven years. So there's one more week to be fulfilled. That is seven years. So the Bible dates itself several different times that this is a seven year period. And so as Jesus is now pulling his disciples in what is often called the Olivet Discourse, Jesus is sitting at the Mount of Olives. The disciples are saying, we just heard you said you're going to call it, uh, that the temple is going to be destroyed. When is this going to happen? Oh, by the way, since we're talking about future events, when is the sign of thy coming? And since we're talking about it, when's the end of the world? Tell us about it. And so Jesus begins to answer their question in chapter 24 and 25 by speaking about the events leading up to his coming and to his ruling of the world. In Matthew chapter 24, verses 4 through 26, Jesus speaks about the tribulation period. And as a reminder of what we've talked about before and what is being said here, that during this time, 144,000 Jewish evangelists will come to know Christ as their savior, and they are going to go throughout the entire world proclaiming the gospel. Again, God is working for this tribulation time to bring the Hebrew people back to himself and then reach the world through the Hebrew people as he intended to do. So during this time, there's a lot of he, uh, people starting to get saved in the midst of this horrible, horrible events. Multitudes will come to know Christ as Savior. But in the midst of this, there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. A lot of things are going on. Notice with me, if you don't mind, uh, starting at verse, uh, eh, verse 11. And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And because of the iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure till the end, the same shall be saved. Now, verse 13 is going to be a very important phrase uh, that shall endure to the end. Hold on to that. We'll cover that at the very end of this message, which will lead into our next message. But this, him that shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. What is this salvation talking about? Remember the word saved in the Bible simply means to be delivered from 
a situation. When we are spiritually saved, we are saved from the punishment of hell that we deserve. For the wages of sin is death. That we deserve hell. We deserve to be separated from here. This word saved in this one is not talking about spiritual salvation, but is being saved, delivered from the tribulation period that they're in. And when they endure to the end, they are going to go into the millennial kingdom in their natural bodies not a redeemed body. They are going to survive the tribulation, be saved, anyone who endures for the end, and be able to step into the millennial kingdom in their natural bodies. So these are the Jewish people who survived the tribulation. That's what that phrase is. Verse 14, and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto the nations. Then shall the end come. Now again, this is speaking about the tribulation period. The church is already gone. God is going to have the Hebrew people who get saved and are going to be witnessing around the world and everywhere is going to hear the gospel. It's going to be an amazing time, a horrible time of judgment and persecution, but a time where the gospel is going to spread even at the cost of people's own life. At the midpoint of the tribulation, we hit verse 15, when there ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet stand in the holy place. Whosoever readeth, let him understand. Now, verse 15, we've hit this phrase, an a desolation, abomination of desolation over and over and over. This is a key phrase that is spoken of the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Remember that right after uh, the rapture, the Antichrist is going to rise to power. Then he is going to make a peace agreement with the Hebrew people to rebuild the temple. Once that peace agreement is reached, the tribulation period begins. You start the clock. Seven years are now going to pass. At the midpoint of the tribulation, which is three and a half years, the temple is going to be completed. The Antichrist is going to sit on the throne of the temple and he's going to declare himself to be God. When this happens, the Jewish people are going to realize at that time that this Antichrist was not the Messiah that they were looking for in the first place. And they are going to reject him in droves. And he is not going to take take this rejection well. As it now goes on, uh, verse 16, it now talks about that they're supposed to run and flee for their lives. 16, let them which be in Judah flee to the mountains and let him that is on the housetop uh, not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return to get uh, take back his clothes. And woe unto them that are with child and to them that were give suck in those days. But pray that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day. For then shall the be great tribulation such as not since the beginning of the world to this time no nor should ever be and so it goes on and it it explains how the hebrew people that once they reject the antichrist from being their messiah and they realize it's not that they need to take off why because there's a great persecution that's going to come from the antichrist these people are going to flee into the mountainous regions of edom of Petra. And as these evangelists are preaching, these Jewish people are going to be helped. They're going to be hidden. They're going to be protected. 
most importantly, by <laughs> and believed by others around. So as the Jewish people are now fleeing from their life, there are going to be some people who have accepted Christ. And they're going to do almost like an underground railroad type thing, trying to help supply and take care of the Hebrew people to flee from the Antichrist to come. They're going to help provide food. They're going to give them shelter. They're going to give them protection. They're going to set up all of these things to help protect the Jewish people from the persecution, this horrible persecution that is here to come. In Matthew chapter 24, verses 27 through 30, it begins to mention the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now remember, the second coming of Jesus Christ has two phases. The first phase is in the rapture where Jesus Christ meets us in the clouds. The second phase is where Jesus Christ comes back on this earth. Notice with me verse 27. For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For wheresoever the car is, there will the eagles be gathered together. And immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light and the stars shall fall from the heaven and the powers of the heaven shall be shaken. And then shall appear the sign of the son of man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn and they shall see the son of man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And so Jesus Christ now comes on this earth. As we flip over to Matthew 25 verses 1 through 30, we're going to see the judgment upon Israel. What I'm doing is I'm giving a quick survey of these two books leading up to our passage, or these two chapters. So chapter 24 speaks primarily about the tribulation period. Now as we flip over to chapter 25, it goes back and speaks about the judgment upon the, the Gentile people, upon <coughs> Uh, sorry, 20 uh, verses 1 through 30 speaks about the judgment upon Israel. Matthew 25, 31 through the end of the chapter speaks about the judgment of the Gentiles, which is going to be our passage, what we're speaking about. Now, all that was introduction to give context. Let's hit the passage where we're at. The first thing I want to bring to your attention is the time of this judgment. The time of of this judgment. Notice with me again in verse 31. And when the son of man shall come, so chapter 25, verse 31. And when the son of man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory and before him shall be gathered all nations. So these nations are going to be the Gentile nations that are here on the earth. Now remember, we've covered this before, um, just hitting again, that at the very end of the tribulation period, the Antichrist is going to gather all of the nations to fight against God. Their goal is to wipe out the Hebrew people because if they wipe out the Hebrew people, then God can't keep his promise. So remember, they're all going to be gathered together in the Valley of Megiddo, in the Valley of Armageddon. They're going to be gathered together to say, we're going to get rid of God's people and we're going to fight against God. And when God comes down, Remember Jesus Christ comes. We spoke about the passage before. He comes down, says a word, faces melt, horrible things happen. We've covered that before. Now we have another incident here where Jesus is speaking about this called the, time, uh, the, the, the parable of the sheep and the goats. So the Gentile nations have gathered together. Notice what Jesus does with them. Verse 32. 
And before him shall be gathered all the nations, and he, this is Jesus, shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And he, Jesus, shall set the sheep on his right hand, and the goats on his left. So what's going to happen is he's going to separate all the people who are alive on this earth at this time. You guys over here, you guys over here. All the people on the one side are going to be sheep. The other side are going to be goats. The one who are sheep are going to be those who are saved, who have trusted Christ as their savior, who endured past the tribulation that are going to enter the millennial kingdom in their, in their natural bodies. All of those who are goats are going to be those who never accepted Christ as their savior. And they're going to be set aside and judged and cast into hell right then and there. So what's going to happen is the millennial kingdom is going to begin with no lost people. Only people who have been saved, redeemed, whether it's us in our redeemed bodies who are coming back with Christ or those who survived the tribulation who have trusted Christ and didn't die. All the people that start the millennial kingdom are going to be those who have trusted Christ and believe in God and his word. Now, <laughs> notice if you don't mind a name of God that is mentioned, verse 34 and verse 40. Notice what the Bible calls them. Verse 34, then shall the king, verse 40, and the king, what king? The king of the millennial kingdom. The king who is now setting up his brand new kingdom that is going to rule and reign for a thousand years. King Jesus, the king of the universe, the one who has the right to do with whatever he wants of his subjects. He has every right to judge the world because he is God. And it is this king who is going to separate those who are saved from those who are not saved. As we had talked about on Sunday night from the wheat from the tares. In this parable, the sheep and the goats. Those who are saved on one side, those who are not saved on the other side. And he is going to bring a judgment upon them. This judgment takes place at the end of the tribulation. Hold your finger here. This is also a significant event mentioned in one of the minor prophets. Turn with me to the book of Joel. The book of Joel. So if you hit the book of Daniel, Daniel, Isaiah, Joel. The book of Joel in chapter number three. This also speaks about this same event. Joel chapter three. Joel chapter 3, minor prophet section. Remember we had mentioned earlier in the series that at the, <clears throat> most of the minor prophets will always end with a prophecy, a prediction, a promise of the millennial kingdom. Joel is not any different. He, they're giving encouragement that God is going to protect the Hebrew people. Notice with me Joel chapter 3. Joel chapter 3 and notice with me in verse 11. Joel chapter 3 and verse 11. Assemble yourselves and come all ye heathen and gather yourselves together round about. Thither cause thy mighty ones to come down. O Lord, let the heathen be wakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat. For those of you who may not be familiar with Bible geography, this is the same valley called the Valley of Megiddo or most commonly called the Valley of Armageddon which is a real historical place. This is where all the people are going to gather together. All of the armies of the world are going to be gathered together to fight against the Hebrew people and to defy God. 
And the Bible here is speaking about this in the Old Testament, this gathering together of the nations of the Valley of Jeho- uh, Jehoshaphat. For there I will sit to judge all the heathen round about. Again, the same thing that we were seeing in Matthew 25, that the king is going to judge, separate those who are saved from those who are not saved. Verse 30, uh, 13. Put ye in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, get you down, for the press is full, and the fats overflow, for their wickedness is great. Verse 14, multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. This idea of multitudes, when it's repeated twice, is a Hebrew poetical way of saying not just multitudes, but multitudes of multitudes, all the people. All the nations are going to be gathered. Multitudes of multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near the valley of decision. Now some people may look at this valley of decision and try to say, well, now it's time for you to make a decision. Now you need to decide which side you're going to be on. But may I say that when it comes time to the sheep and the goats, it is not your decision. Your decision is already over. The valley of decision in this passage is God's valley of decision where he separates those who are saved from those who are not saved. It is too late by the time you get to this valley. Some people will say, well, I'll just wait till I stand before God and I'll let him decide then. If you wait to go to your judge and your court sentencing, then you have already got to the wrong place. You don't go plead before the judge your innocence at your sentencing. The Bible says that we're condemned already if we haven't accepted Christ as our Savior. For the wages of sin is death. Now is the time to get right with God before you meet your judge. Because at this valley of decision, you won't get to plead your case. It is where you are sentenced, whether you are saved or not. Whether you have eternal life or you have eternal damnation. Now is the time. Now is your decision time. If you wait till then, it is God that's making the decision and it will already be too late. This valley of decision, this Joel event is speaking about the very same thing in Matthew chapter 25, this separating of the sheep and the goats, separating those who are saved from those who are not saved. So we see this time of judgment. Go back to Matthew 25 and I want to show something else to you. A testimony of belief, not only a time of judgment, but a testimony of belief, a testimony of belief. Notice with me, if you don't mind, back in Matthew 25 and verse 35. Uh, Verse 34. Then shall the king say to them on his right hand, those sheep, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Now, again, he's speaking to the Hebrew people who survived the tribulation. These are promises given to the Hebrew people and they get to go enjoy it. Now, because God's promise is so good, we get to enjoy it as well. But remember that prophecy is primarily made to the Hebrew people. We're just keeping context. Then notice what he says, verse 35, for I was a hungered and ye gave me meat and I was thirsty and ye gave me drink and I was a stranger and you took me in naked and ye clothed me and I was sick and ye visited me and I was in prison and you came to me then shall the righteous answer him say Lord when saw thee a hungered and fed thee or thirsty and gave thee drink and when when saw we thee a stranger and took thee in or naked and clothed thee or when saw thee sick or in prison and came to thee 
That's a good question. So Jesus says, you have eternal rewards because you took care of me when I was hungry, when I was thirsty, when I was naked, when I was sick, when I was in prison. You took care of me. And the people scratched their heads and said, you're the king, you're God. When did we do this for you? When did we take care of this? That's a good question. Notice what Jesus answers them in verse 40. And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, ye have done to me. When he says my brethren, remember Jesus Christ was of the Hebrew people. And he remember what I said in the context? That during the tribulation period when the Hebrew people are running from their lives from the Antichrist, and that they're fleeing to try to get away from the persecution, there are going to be people that are helping them out, running an underground railroad, giving them food, trying to take care of them, hiding them, keeping them secure, even to the risk of their own lives. Jesus said, that's when you helped me. When you did it to the least of them, you were doing it to me. What he is saying there is that our belief affects behavior. The Bible says in the book of James, as we had covered before, that faith without works is dead. Today in America, Christianity, we have a lot of talk. Very little action. One of the problems that we have with American Christianity is that Christians don't want to act like Christians. They don't want to be different. Oh, heaven forbid they get caught reading their Bible. Oh, heaven forbid they get in a conversation. What are you doing this weekend? Nothing. Well, what are you doing? Going to church as if you're ashamed. People don't want to read their Bibles. They don't want to behave like a Christian. They don't want to act like a Christian. And here, these people are willing to risk their own lives to help Hebrew people to flee and to go away. Faith without works is dead. Someone can say they're a Christian, but if they don't follow the Bible, are you really? Now, we understand that anyone who's trusted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, that that's all that's necessary. But if you are truly saved, your works will show it. I don't serve God in order to get something from Him. I serve God because of what He's already done for me. He saved me from a penalty of death and hell. I deserve to be roasting in hell right now. And I'm not. And because I'm not, and I'm so thankful because I know how real that is, I'm glad to serve him. If, if the least I can do is read my Bible every day, why wouldn't I? The Bible says in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. You know what is reasonable? To allow God to have your life to use however you want. When you refuse to read your Bible, you are unreasonable. When you refuse to go to church when you should, you are unreasonable. When you refuse to take time to pray, you are unreasonable. When you decide to read your Bible playing solitaire, you are unreasonable. When you decide, well, I just read my one verse for the day, you are unreasonable. 
These people are willing to risk their lives. And again, studying the period of the tribulation, it is a horrible time. And to defy the Antichrist is a big deal. And these people are willing to do it at the risk of their life. And we can't even get people to read their Bibles. We can't get them to say that I'm a Christian. We can't get them to behave like a Christian. You say, how does a Christian behave? Go to a lost person who hates church and say, how is a church first person supposed to behave? And listen to what they say. They will tell you a church person supposed to read their Bible. They're supposed to go to church. They're supposed to pray. They're supposed to tell people about their faith. Even if they don't do it, they know what church people are supposed to do. And somehow when people get going to church, they forget that they're supposed to do these things. Unreasonable. What Jesus is saying here is that the people in the tribulation, their works are going to back up their faith. You know, in America, people could be a Christian and you don't pay a price whatsoever. And because we don't pay a price, we take it for granted. It is cheap. If you were to be thrown in jail for reading your Bible, would you read your Bible? Well, you won't read your Bible and you have the freedom to do so. Today, you have countries like in Uzbekistan. If you are found with an Uzbek Bible, it is automatically three years in prison. People's like, I don't even carry my Bible to church. Unreasonable. In Uzbekistan, if you have more than three to five people in a public setting, it is an illegal meeting, three years in prison. And today people have the freedom to come to church and we get to come. Nah, I'd rather not. Unreasonable. Unreasonable. I can't go to church today. It's too hot. I can't go to church today. It's too cold. I can't go to church because the doctor said that the crowds will get my anxiety, but I could go to the ball game. Oh, I can't. Our whole family can't make it to church today because the baby has the sniffles and everybody's got to stay here to blow the poor kid's nose. Unreasonable. Unreasonable. Jesus is placing emphasis here that those who are saved in the tribulation, their behavior is going to back up their belief. Faith without works is dead. But notice there's one more thing in here. The tragedy of unbelief. The tragedy of unbelief. Notice with me in Matthew 25 verse 41. Then shall he say also to them on the left hand, the goats, Depart from me ye cursed into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. All those that did not accept Christ as their savior rejected Christ. They're going to be set aside. They're going to be put into an awful place called hell. And that's what they deserve. By the way, that's what we all deserve. The only reason why we're not is because of the grace of Jesus Christ. And we accepted that free gift. These people did not accept that free gift that was extended to them. And they are sentenced to an awful place called hell. Jesus goes on, for I was hungered and he gave me no meat. I was thirsty and he gave me no drink and I was a stranger and he gave 
uh, took me not in and ye naked and you clothed me not and sick in prison you visited me not and they should also answer him saying Lord when we saw thee hungered or thirst or stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to thee and he shall answer them saying verily I say unto you insomuch as ye did it not to one of the least of these ye did it not to me and these shall go into everlasting punishment and the righteous into life eternal. You understand that our belief affects behavior. Could it be that someone who makes a profession of Christ but refuses to read their Bible, maybe there's something wrong with their belief? God knows who has truly trusted him or not. I'm not trying to get you to doubt your salvation. I'm trying to say, is there any substance to it? Do you have fire extinguisher? Do you just have the get out of jail card? Or are you born again? Is there something different? You say, well, how does this carry out? Well, we had something called World War II. And in World War II, we know that World War II was centered around one major country, the country of Germany. And if you know anything about history, especially church history, you know that Germany was a quite important place to religious history. You had a place where Martin Luther on October 31st of 15, forget the date, 11, I think, nailed 95 theses on the door of Wittenberg to protest the Catholic Church, to say that people are saved by grace through faith and not of works, that it is the work of God to be saved, and that there was something to it. And you had what was called Lutheranism branch out from that time of people who truly accepted Christ as their savior. This was the birthplace of Lutheranism. This is the birthplace of the Reformation. And now you get to World War II, Nazi Germany. Where was the church people during World War II? Where were the people standing up and saying, maybe we shouldn't do this to the Jewish people. We see what the Bible says. How come we're not standing up for God's people? Where were the churches? We understand what the Nazis were doing. We understood what the government officials were doing. Where were the church people? Don't, don't, don't exit on me now. You know what the church people did? Is they found out when the schedule of the trains carrying the Jewish people going to the concentration camps was going. They found out when they were supposed to pass and they purposely got those schedules and they would plan their song services for that time. So that way they could sing as loud as they could so they could not hear the cries and the begging of the Jewish people as they rode right beside, outside their walls, asking anyone for help. Where were they at? They ignored them. They allowed them to go away. Church people. Jesus said, because you did not help me during that time. World War II, there was people who got in trouble for standing up against Hitler. I do not like his theology, but Diedrich Bonhoeffer was a religious leader who stood up against Hitler and showed some backbone towards it. You could see what happened to him. But there was more than one saved person in Germany. Where were they at? Could it be that even in Germany, they had a weak, anemic Christianity that was not willing to stand 
for their Lord and Savior that they were not grateful for the God that they had. And Jesus said to the least of these ye have done unto me. What we're living in right now is an unreasonable Christianity. So the question is for you is what type of belief do you have? Do you have a belief that behaves? Or do you have a belief that's just words? Are you reasonable or unreasonable? How do I know? What's your schedule like tomorrow? Do you have scheduled Bible reading time? Meaning that this is my Bible reading. Now, let me just clarify what I mean. If you are staring at your phone, you're not reading your Bible. If you're staring at Facebook, you're not reading your Bible. Open Bible, notebook in hand, waiting for God to speak to you. <laughs> you said, you're being mean. No, I'm trying to be a help. Because so many Christians read their Bible like touching their eyes on every word of the page. Well, I read it. I don't know what I got out of it. Cool. Well, checked off today. I'm good. If you have a checkmark religion, it's unreasonable. Unreasonable. You said, why do you keep saying unreasonable? Because Jesus Christ died on the cross for you. He died because he wanted to have fellowship with you. He wanted to spend time with you. How messed up would it be? If we were outside here in the mean streets of Seymour. And one of you saw someone getting ready to shoot me. And you pushed me out of the way and you took the bullet for me. Afterwards. You get out of the hospital and all I could do when I see you is kind of what's up and just walk past. I don't talk to you. Don't spend time with you. You pushed out of the way. You, you, you took a bullet for me. And I can't even grunt at your direction, much less spend time with you. Wouldn't that be messed up? Wouldn't that be horribly messed up? Well, Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. How come you can't talk to him when he died for you? You can't give him a time of day to spend time in his word to allow him to speak to you. You can't give him time of day to speak to him and tell him you're thankful for him and that you love him and you appreciate him taking the bullet for you. Unreasonable. Unreasonable. We know that this future judgment is specifically speaking about the end of time into the tribulation where God is going to separate those who are saved from those who are not saved. Those who are not saved are going to go into hell. Those who are saved are going to enter into their millennial kingdom and their natural bodies. And we'll talk more about that later. But it is interesting that he talks about the Christianity during that time. That those people were reasonable to help the Hebrew people in the times of trouble. And they did it. Doing it was because of right. But Jesus said, to the least of these, you've done unto me. All it does is show a great spotlight upon our American Christianity. With the only word that could be stamped over it. Unreasonable. Unreasonable. What is the type of Christianity that you carry from day to day? Are you only a Christian on Sunday morning? What about Tuesday night? Are you a Christian every day of the week? 
Or is it only when you walk into the church doors that you finally clean yourself up and clean up your language and hope that you could get something out of it? Unreasonable. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.